Hello Fidel Fernando this is Sadat Monga the last time we talked was was a very uh, we were very annoyed the last time we spoke uh, that was after the world cup final uh, the fallout of that world cup continues and it's it's not ideal two retirements that we're talking about today uh, two south african greats actually two world greats dale sen and hashim amla both in the span of two days uh Dale Stein uh Fidel you 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 have you have you many times you've told me and we have discussed how exciting it was to watch Dale Stein what were your thoughts when you when you came to know of his retirement yeah i mean i was quite sad because i had actually spoken to him uh i'd interviewed him in february in his in what turns out to be his last series uh or just before his, his you know what is now his final test in port elizabeth and he was you know he had just broken Sean Pollock's record he was quite keen on carrying on from there and he was talking about you know 500 wickets 550 wickets why why do i have to stop now uh but then i think eventually uh another long recovery road uh from another shoulder injury uh which is an issue that he's had twice you know the last three years probably has uh has sort of forced him to take stock of of where he's at in his career and say okay maybe a test match workload is uh, is 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 not going to work out for me um especially when there's money to be made in IPL and uh T20 leagues and in limited overs cricket in general uh but i think it's in the test format that he made the biggest mark by far i think there can be no doubt about that and and you're right he was just such a box office player to watch uh just the intensity that he brought to bowling i don't think we've seen that kind of intensity from any bowler uh maybe like a, the intensity of a kohli can match him when when you when you're talking about batting as well but uh from a fast bowler you have not seen someone be that invested into every ball that he's bowling into every spell that he's bowling you could just see it on his face and he would transform into a different person like you you talk to Dale I think anyone who's interviewed Dale Stein will tell you or just chatted to Dale Stein will tell you he's just like like the most chillest uh very very honest and very laid back person off the field he like cracks jokes very easily uh like is a dream interview in a lot of ways but on the field he just became this absolute monster because he you just got the sense that every delivery he bowled uh he was trying to to make the batsman uncomfortable uh, there was he and he's the most aggressive fast bowler there has ever been uh, of the great fast bowlers his strike rate is better than anyone uh with uh, with more than 200 wickets and you can see that i mean you never could take you couldn't really tear your eyes away from a stain st- spell I I want to go back to your interview with him because that's the most fascinating part of an elite sportsman's career because they become elite sportsmen they reach there because they have lied to their bodies they have bullshitted their way into making their bodies believe they can do some of the things that human bodies are not meant to do and they have it's a, the most important part of an elite sportsman is denial denial of pain denial of shortcomings and to get over them and i think at that time he would have felt i've done it so many times i've done it over 15 years i have i fooled my body into believing i can do this i can do that so i i can really you know empathize with him when he said hey i'm not even close to my end i, I think he told you in an interview that he uh, at one point he had 
played six test matches out of which he had walked off in four i think that played heavily on him because he's as as we have discussed he's a he's a test great he's he's he sacrificed a lot of odis a lot of leagues experience to play test cricket at, at one point of time he had played more test matches than odis which is very rare for a modern cricketer so now if if a person like that who's who's given everything into every ball of test cricket and at the at a very considerable cost of his other career when he lets when he feels he's let him let his team down in four test matches out of six that's when maybe you start thinking hey age is catching up and he, i i don't know what what other deliberations he would have had when he made that decision i do you know whom he would have spoken to etc Yeah I mean I think uh one thing that he said was that they were kind of freak injuries from his view they were freak injuries yes, so he he's, he's, he's never injured his heel in his whole life and then he just lands in a foothold and injures his heel that was yeah, against right. india so in he, he took- so yeah he he got a couple of so that the heel injury where the match was against india i think and newlands test uh where he injured his heel and then he think he thought that the shoulder thing was also very uh unique and and that he had got over that and uh, so when that problem came back i think that's when he realized actually this is this could be a, a degenerative thing the pressure that he's putting on one part of his shoulder is now affecting the other uh, it was his bowling shoulder the right shoulder so i think eventually he had to like the he had to take note of the fact you know he couldn't bullshit himself as you were saying any longer about his own body he and he used, he talked about in that interview about like what the process for getting back onto the field is like and this is where i have so much respect for fast bowlers especially fast bowlers who like him refuse to compromise on pace so we see a lot of fast bowlers for example uh, who will start off as tearaways and then after injuries hit them they'll they'll knock their face back, pace back 10 15 it doesn't make them any lesser bowlers look at jimmy anderson he's now uh, just a wrist and line length bowler but it's different personalities he I know Dale Stay and Shoaib Akhtar these guys won't go back to doing that. I'm Shoaib Akhtar I remember from an interview he told me that he used to I asked him how painful it is to bowl fast and he said I don't remember a day when I did not have to crawl out of my bed to the bathroom and it took him every day it took him an hour an hour and a half of conditioning to be able to walk properly. Imagine how hard it is to be a fast bowler. Also Dale as he as he has said in interviews he's been extremely gifted in the sense that his body has been mostly injury free but it still is a lot of hard work to bowl fast yeah and and to come back from an injury where you have to uh you know you start off like with small steps uh you you know you you don't bowl for a while he said he talked about like this bowling like very slowly in the nets and even that even how that was not something he liked doing you know bowling slowly while you're on the recovery path even that he didn't he that was not something he enjoyed like bowling within himself at any point uh, because uh, to, and, to, and then and then just uh, just to get back to the stage and then you also have i think what he really didn't enjoy was people such as myself or other writers uh who after a couple of injuries yeah uh, yeah you you as well the biggest culprit <laughs> yeah so who uh who basically doubted him and said you know he's done that's it we've seen the bit last of dale stain uh and i think that really like hurt him on an emotional level because there's probably something that he didn't have to deal with for such a long time in his career because he was just like his performance was just you know rock solid for so many year after year after year he probably never you know probably never thought 
that he would have to read those kinds of things about himself in you know in the media. And Dale is very much like Sainz is very much someone who lives in the real world. Uh, there are so many cricketers who live in a bubble. Yeah. Who uh, don't uh, who don't let you know don't read much or who will just live like you know training to the ground to the match like it's just like they're just on a they're just on a cricket treadmill. Whereas Stain goes out, he has hobbies, he surfs, he fishes, uh, he he you know he plays instruments. He's like a he he has a life. Uh, cricket's just one part of his life, so he would those kinds of things would probably affect him a little bit more. Uh, but he's been. I just, it's just so sad. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling a little bit bummed that we'll never see that amazing approach to the crease and the the wind up and the release. Um, that's something like that. That was one of the great spectacles of the last fifteen years in cricket for me. And and then when he gets the wickets, like the the vein basically throbbing out of his face, um, the primal screams. Uh, you know, fuff for someone running up to him to give him a kiss, but he's just like so pumped up. Yeah, it's one of one of the greatest, most fun I've had watching cricket was uh, was watching Stain uh, at his like absolutely furious best. Um, but it was also interesting watching him like the last last couple of uh, they played four tests against Sri Lanka in the last year, and he struggled in all of them. To be fair, he struggled. Uh, it was also interesting to watch him like really struggle hard. Uh, there was a match at the SSC, which is like a really unforgiving wicket for Quicks, uh, where he didn't get a single he didn't get a single wicket through the uh, through the innings, and uh, just to see him go through that and yet run in at and still bowl at 140, um, that uh, just shows you like you know to come back your third fourth spell uh, on the second day, come back and 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 bowl those kinds of spells. You're you really have to have a gigantic heart to be able to do that kind of thing. So that's that's the great thing about Stain because he's uh, we have already spoken about how he at 42 he's he's got the best strike rate of any bowler who has taken 200 wickets or more. But still, for even for him, even when you're looking at this best strike rate, 42 balls is seven overs. Seven overs of fast bowling to get one wicket. That's a really tough job. And Stain was one of the great streak bowlers. So. Uh, like Stuart Broad, he used to tended to have spells like five overs, two maidens, four for three, those kind of spells. He he had a lot of those spells, which means that he also had a lot of dry spells. Which you've seen him in uh, in Sri Lanka, where you expect a true fast bowler. You expect fast bowlers to struggle in Sri Lanka. I've seen him struggle in South Africa on those wickets against India, where he went. India scored some thousand runs in the second innings in Johannesburg. And then he also had the misfortune of being the batsman at the wicket to pull down the shutter on a chase, which was possible, but which could have, if he had taken a chance and if it got out, it would have meant that they would have lost in a chase of 400, despite having come close. So he had to assess the risk. And I think he was pulled up in the dressing room for not going for it. So he went to the second test, zero wickets. For the last 60 overs, 50 overs, it goes into the second test. Another 10 overs spell with no wicket. The pitch is slow. Durban, they're very... South Africans get really frustrated with the Durban wicket because it's usually slow nowadays. So, they're struggling. Nothing is happening. They're actually looking at the possibility of... They've lost the toss. India are going great. 150 for one. South Africa are really looking at a possibility of losing a home series to South Africa, to India. And then suddenly... 
it just starts to go the ball just starts to tail and he transforms although that transformation is visible only to us because he's doing the same things he's been working hard all the while but once the once we see the results he is irresistible he just takes six wickets in no time the strike rate for that series is back to 42 which he usually is and it's it was such a great sight to watch stain having worked his way through that dry spell and then come and have this spell and just turn the series around and win south africa the series and it was uh, i also have a <clears throat> slight confession to make uh, because i i as you spoke about writers who've been writing who had been writing and putting him down i didn't do that but i for the last 2 years i've i've had this feeling is he's been holding some of the south african quicks back um, guys like kyle abbott who who haven't had enough chances and have moved to england but then it's their own journey this which is what you realize so stain was stain was living his journey uh, kyle abbott was living his journey stain is living his journey he's worked hard all his life you can't expect him to just give up his career maybe the selectors could have come in but then again if i've looked at the performance for the last 2 years when i felt that he was holding people back but maybe i was just holding stain against his own lofty standards he was not that bad in those 2 years yeah i mean no uh, with abbott especially abbott walked out when he was actually uh, a part of the uh, the uh, like the south africa's number one attack so uh stain i'm not sure stain really had that much to do with uh, with that one in any case stain has missed so much cricket over the last few years everyone knew he was coming back coming to the end of his career i don't think the fast bowlers that we especially olivier wasn't uh, no, he was not. You, can, you can pin that on on stain either So uh, yeah they're they're on the uh yeah they're on different journeys as you said. No, uh, the other thing I want to talk about finally with Stain is to talk about like how statistically dominant he is and to talk about his place in like the pantheon of of fast bowling. So as far as I'm concerned like I I looked at uh, quite a bit of his stats maybe about a year back now. Uh so a few test matches ago um and he there was a genuine case statistically for him to be in the conversation for the greatest fast bowler of all time and i say that because uh of his average differential so his average is not as good as maybe like uh, uh Malcolm Marshall or Joel Garner or uh, Kurtley Ambrose but that's but because run rates have gone up all over the world its average is he's taking wickets quicker than them it's just that the scoring rates have gone gone up all over the world so he ends up conceding those extra runs in that time but he's taking a wicket quicker than anybody else Yeah so that's that's one thing also generally I mean the first half of his career was played in like the late 2000s early part of this decade where batting where where wickets were famously batting friendly or infamously batting friendly so when you looked at the average differential uh the biggest uh, stain had uh, the biggest average differential what i mean by that is like the mean average for an era and uh, how much better this bowler is and stain was something like 17 average points better than the than the mean for the era which is like a ridiculous stat right and uh and and then also his performances in asia you know i i've seen him struggle in i've also seen him win a match in goal uh with reverse swing and and just absolutely running and this was like the great sri lankan batting uh, order which you know featured kumar and kumar sangakkara and mahila jawadhan as well uh and and just to be able to run through someone like that end goal which sri lanka really is a venue that sri lanka really fancy themselves at um he's done better in south asia than for example like zahir khan and chamin devas 
uh, way better than uh, Shoei Bakhtar I think is the only one who can match uh, match Stain in Asia for like strike rate strike rate and average yeah. pace is pace yeah. <laughs> pace is pace yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it comes it, a lot of it comes down to at, attitude because I remember asking Dale at a press conference just before day one of a test series in India I asked him how disheartening is it how disheartening it is for a fast bowler you run in you let the ball go and the ball and the wicket keeper is collecting it by his ankles how disheartening is it and he said no 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 it's great for me because I now I know I can get LBWs I can get bowls I just need to change my mode of attack but it's great for me now now the umpire will not be ruling them not out based on bounce it's great for me so that's why he saw an opportunity whereas I know a lot of fast bowlers who see that thing go not bounce high and they start making faces and you know they they start moaning you can see them you they won't do it openly but you know that they are not happy with these conditions but they feel that they have been eliminated and they f- start feeling that even in the first over of a test match but not Dale his attitude towards fast bowling was great well, let's finish off this section with uh, uh, with a bit of a slam. Uh, so the other the other fastball who comes into contention when you talk about the finest fastballer of this generation is James Anderson. So I feel like I mean Anderson is incredibly skillful and and uh, and is a great bowler in his own right, and his endurance is something else. However, Stain could do everything Anderson can do with the ball, or almost everything, but at ten k faster. And uh, was a bit more skillful with things like reverse swing. Um, so I think there's like a pretty decent gulf between Stain and Anderson. I don't think it's even Anderson's on the level. If, for me, it's Anderson's on the level of, of Stain. Yeah, I mean, I would rate Stain higher than Anderson, but they are two very different bowlers who had who've had also who've had two different. I mean, a lot of the sport is about luck, as we as we have many times discussed. It's about the pitch and conditions, which we sometimes underestimate. Dale was a little fortunate in that when he when he had great performances in India, it was that era when the ball didn't used to turn that much in India, where the pitches were truer, and everybody had to rely on reverse swing. Now, Anderson didn't tour in that era. Anderson toured when India had started playing on big turners. 2012, he didn't tour? It was... But in 2012, this... India's attitude towards pitches had started to change. That's when India started playing three spinners and they had raging turners. Monty Panesar had a great series which tells you a lot about the pitches. <clears throat> so, the focus had started to change from reverse swing to turn. Uh, I, it's, it's not taking away from Dale. It's not making excuses for... Anderson, it's just that sometimes your circumstances. J- Jimmy Anderson is so lucky to be playing in England, which, which is the kind of pitches Dale never gets, or maybe he gets only very rarely. Those kind yeah. of pitches where you, you are just getting a lot of seam movement all day long. Dale doesn't, and you bowling with Dukes. The, Dale does that very rarely. So it's, and yeah, I would agree. Overall, I would say yes. Stain and numbers bear it out. And his his one his one South Africa Test series in England, Australia, West Indies, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. His one South Africa Test matches in India, which no other fast bowler or no other spinner of this era can claim to have done for his side. And he's got the best strike rate. He's got a great average. So there's no doubting he's the best. But as a comparison, I mean, Jimmy Anderson also he's had. 
his circumstances are different to Dale's. Yeah, I, what I would say is that Stain has excelled in a wider degree, wider yes. variety of conditions than than Anderson has, and excelled like substantially better than anyone else in you know in in contention. So and despite having uh, those dry spells where you think, hey, this team seems to have got the better of Dale Stain, and then suddenly twenty five wicketless overs later, he finds one small opportunity and he just breaks through it and he gets on a streak, which is the most yeah, incredible thing about him. I'm just looking through his stats now. His worst in terms of like countries that he's played in, his worst average is 32.78 in uh, the UAE where he's played only four tests. And I believe like South Africa won, uh, they definitely won at least one of those tests. Yes, might have been more than that. If your worst average is 32.78 as a fast bowler, that like you're you're just you're absolutely killing it. Like you're at the very very top echelons of uh, anyone who's ever bowled a, a cricket ball. For me, like between, I mean, if you're looking for the best right arm quick ever, it's between him and and Malcolm Marshall. Yeah, I can't think of too many others. Maybe uh, Richard Hadley, Dennis Lilly, but again, Dennis Lilly is the he doesn't have a body of work in Asia. He didn't tour Asia that much, but yeah, uh, Marshall and Stain are there, and then you can think of Richard Hadley and Dennis Lilly in terms of right arm quicks. Kurtley Ambrose, maybe, but yeah, cool. So should we uh, should we head on to talking about the other great uh, South African then? Uh, so Hashim Amla uh, later on in the week, uh, nice clean retirement as, as Osman pointed out uh, makes things very easy for us we, because he retired from all formats of the game yes uh, I think he's still playing Zanzi and uh, and 20 cricket here and there but uh, but he's retired from all internationals so he didn't stagger it by uh, unlike Stain who's still around in one day as I think well, I don't blame him he wants to make up for time lost in T20s and ODIs where, because he focused on test cricket and he managed his workload so that he could give his best in test cricket Batsmen don't have to do that. Fast bowlers have to do that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Amla. Yeah, Amla. Another massive loss for South Africa, but one that you kind of saw coming for the last for the last little while. Amla's Amla was. Uh, he used to be the kind of player that was just. Every, you could just bank on him for there was like a good four year, five year period in his career where if he missed out on a hundred or a fifty in one innings. You can almost guarantee, like he's getting there in the next one. But his game was, his game was so. I mean, to an out, to an uh, to a outer eye, his game was so fraught with risk because he used to used to play away from the body. He used to whip balls from outside off to mid wicket. He used to cut away from the body. He used to drive on the up. He used to do all those ridiculous things that you didn't. You felt that hey, you shouldn't should not be doing it. His batting stance, his technique, everything was so unorthodox, and it at least it felt that he was was playing a high risk game. And the feeling I had was that this is because he's, he's just so ridiculously gifted. Eyes, hands, wrists, everything was in sync. He was, and you, I mean, it's a bit of hindsight kicking in, but you felt that. Once one of these things fell out of place, you felt, you know, the whole thing might come crumbling down, which is what happened, I think, over the last year or so. The thing, I mean, that's a good point you make about him being a high-risk batsman. The thing that always stood out for me about Amla is how different his batting was 
from everyone else in that South Africa top order. There's no one who even came close to the kind of style that he brought to that that top order. I think like South African cricket can sometimes be mechanical uh, accused or has been accused of being a bit robotic, being a bit like straight, you know, up, you know, straight buttoned up. Uh, Jack conservative. Callis. Imagine Jack yeah. Callis and Hashim Amla they're batting together. Jack Callis is like proper not taking risks, batting at 80% all the time so that he doesn't get out. And then you have Hashim and they had great partnerships. Who's, both whipping, of who's whipping balls from outside off stump through midwicket? Yeah, and both of them uh, had great partnerships. It was it was the best time to watch, like to watch this. I can't think of many better partnerships than Jock Callis and Hashim Amla. It was a joy to watch. Yeah, uh, and uh, Amla was also like Amla was also very stylish in defence, which I think is a very rare thing for batsmen. Even his uh, even his just like very unambitious shots. Down the pitch uh, were were they just had something about them which is which you never saw from uh, a South African batsman. And one thing um, he changed, one thing was that was remarkable was he you he had a high risk game or he had an apparently high risk game against fast bowlers, but when he played spinners, he just completely transformed. And he, and I've read that it didn't come naturally to him. He had to work hard to play spin, but. It was lovely to watch him play spin. He was, his head was right over the ball always as he defended. It was almost like he was smelling the ball on the top of the defense, and with just the softest of hands, the ball would just die there at his feet or just roll back to the bowler. It, it can be like very disheartening for a spin bowler when you bowl your best ball. You've got all the right revs you want. You've got a, you've got some dip and bounce, and then suddenly this guy is just patting it back to you with without any fuss. Which was he was like a proper classical batsman of spin bowling. Yeah, and and ability to find gaps as well, which I think is the the thing that when because he was so wristy, he would be able to uh, play the same ball like either side of a fielder with you know it looked like it was the same shot, but he would just he would just like flick his wrist or stop balls or straighten it up just at the last moment, and he'd get them like I just remember like. Uh, captains when he was playing spin having so much trouble knowing where to pit, put their single saving uh, fielders like they, it was very hard to set those in out fields for Amla because if wherever you move the field he just knew how to get either to the left or to the right of him and he weighted his shots also like he uh, Amla ran a lot of twos for a long time he wasn't like someone who uh, if he if he wanted to get a two he knew exactly how hard he had to hit the ball and uh, and which area he had to put it, which is like the sign of like a really masterful player. Uh, if you can start, if you can do that, he was he was open to ideas. He was open to change. He was he like there are some batsmen, and I've I've known it from anecdotes from people who are involved in dressing rooms. They're they're like they're, you don't with the best of the batsmen, or you don't mess with them. You let them go and do what they want. Hashim was the opposite. I was reading a piece this morning in Indian Express by uh, Prasanna Agoram, who's the analyst who has been the South African team analyst for a long time. There's a lovely anecdote in this about a test match in Perth in 2012. That's the series that they won. It was a decider, and uh, uh, on the, it was it was a spicy pitch on the first two days. South Africa scored about 200, and they bowled Australia out for some 150. They had a 60-run first innings lead. It is only day two, final session coming in, and Hashim goes and asks Prasanna, "What should be my approach? This is the best Test batsman of this era." Going and asking Prasanna, who has never played 
टॉप लेवल क्रिकेट ही रिस्पेक्ट्स द गाइज एक्सपर्टीज ही डजन क्वेश्चन है हाउ मेनी टेस्ट हैव यू प्लेड ही जस्ट गोज एंड आस्क हिम वट यू थिंक शुड माई अप्रोच शुड बी एंड प्रसन्ना हैड एन लाइक अ वेरी अनऑर्थोडॉक्स आंसर अनकन्वेंशनल आंसर यू सेड यू गो एंड काउंटर अटैक if because if we can get 120 130 runs in this session we are ahead by 200 even if we lose two or three wickets it's okay go and counter attack and amla went and did that he came out not out on 99 south, south africa had scored some i'm just calculating 200 runs in that session in 32 overs all of a sudden you're going at 300 with a lead of close to 300 and with three days to go and uh, and this by the way happened without the coach gary kirsten knowing what was happening <laughs> and next morning uh, gary told prasanna no now you ask him to bat deep please because he seems to <laughs> listen to you anyway and he told him okay you go and now that we've got this uh, edge in this game we should not let it go and then again amla changed his style according to what prasanna told him and he scored 196 runs there are many anecdotes in this another anecdote which I I like I always feel why aren't more cricketers mad because cricket is that kind of a sport which will drive you mad so there's an insight into Hashim's mindset in this uh, where he's he got out for 196 and Prasanna came Prasanna when he came back Prasanna told him hard luck you deserve 200 and Hashim was like you don't deserve anything in this sport I bet you in the in our neighboring dressing room Australians are thinking he's got 192 runs more than he deserved because at 4 he inside is a ball that should have hit the stumps but it went for 4 so he was like i never take anything for granted whatever you whatever comes your way it's it's a game that depends a lot on luck you take it don't start don't overthink results which is what can drive you mad if you start doing it because you you can hit a thousand balls a week and then you go into bat and the ball is just started to reverse and you <laughs> you get out for it not so the and uh, i mean it's interesting that these two have retired in the same week because they're kind of like uh, polar opposites from each other in terms of like their presence on the field amla is so like so chilled out retiring like that, like he he could be in the in the midst of like this great streak of form uh you know hitting successive boundaries but he's just non completely non confrontational like m- just massively chilled out in everything he does uh, incredibly soft spoken as well like uh and and staying on the, in the other hand is like at completely at the other end of the spectrum uh so to have these two have had these two in the same team and watch them on the same field was uh was great i think i i i'm trying to sort of think back to amla's captaincy and probably if you had one one criticism of him is that he was always uh that he was never like the animated captain who gets in the midst of things and like change switches things around uh but then he brought like a sense of calm and a and just a sense of uh of peace to uh to that south african team as well so uh yeah i i think he he only captain for a very very brief period of time um with hashim i think we need to also we cannot not talk about beyond the boundary because the yep. social context is massive with hashim he is uh, south african teams the just just the significance of hashim amla being hashim amla and doing so well and becoming an integral part of a south african team was a big win 
for the larger politics of South Africa, the larger dream of a transformative country. And and for a while, I mean, I think early on in his one-day career, he didn't. He there were sort of doubts about uh, very early on about whether he was cut out for it. I think because he is so uh, because he is such an unusual batsman for South Africa to produce. I can see why uh, why they were a bit sort of skeptical about him. Um, but uh, but him coming out and proving the, all those people wrong in such an emphatic way, uh, and you know it's unusual for South African South Africa to produce batsmen of color. So they'd started to produce bowlers of color, but from on the batting front, there had been pretty much no one uh, who achieved at like the very high level at uh, those Ashwell Prince before him, but. Uh, at the very high level, uh, you know, to go on to become one of the the uh, batting great, Hashim was the first one, and and I think there's a great interview by Niran Tolsi, uh, which was on uh, uh, Cricket Monthly a couple of years ago of Hashim talking about how uh, how every time he sort of took the field, it was sort of it w- he was carrying a flag for uh, in you know uh, South Africans of Indian descent. He was. He felt like he was being judged, or his entire race was being judged, based on how he would play, based on how he would perform uh, in the uh, with the, all the politics that goes on in a transformation South Africa with uh, quota systems and everything. He felt like I think players of, of color and especially batsmen of color feel like they have to, to justify uh, not just their own place, but to justify the entire system uh, that's uh, underpinning uh, South African sport uh, and. He, he also talks about how he was just the first generation. He was kind of like a, a trailblazer for uh, South Africans of, of Indian descent. He, he talked about how his older brother was actually more talented than him uh, I'm a, when he was I'm younger. younger. But, he, he, but his older brother just, just didn't catch, wasn't there at the right time. Hashim just came through at the right time when players of colour were suddenly being given a few more opportunities at a school level and a, and a higher level. So... Um, it's and now we see, you know, there's a, there's a, a great profusion of uh, of Indian players in the in the South African team. There's from Shamsi to Imran Tahir to uh, Imran Tahir, of course, is Pakistani, but of uh, South Asian descent um, uh, and uh, Keshav Maharaj even. So there's there's he's had a big impact in terms of what the South African team looks like now. To have the courage of conviction that he had, because I can totally imagine if you are that person in that South African team, I can totally imagine you do not want too much attention on yourself. You want to, you know, be as... You want to conform as much as you can. But here he was always uh, not consciously standing out, but aware that he will stand out with his beard with his uh, beliefs with his with his refusing to wear the castle logo in his shirt because it's he's he doesn't endorse alcohol so he he did not change himself just because it will draw unwanted attention to him he had to live through that uh, commentary jibe which i don't know how somebody can get away with by saying that uh, i didn't know i was on air that which means to say that uh, you it's okay for you to have those beliefs and those jokes off air but not on air and hashim hashim would have seen through it hashim did not hold any grudges against him to be to be aware of what you are and not change yourself because it is drawing unwanted attention to you 
it takes a lot of courage of conviction and he has made it easier as you said for all kinds of muslims in south africa look at i don't know maybe i will ask main panel some day how if if hashim's success made it easier for him to convert to islam surely he's made it easier for keshav maharaj even though he's not a muslim but is keshav maharaj imran tahir tabrez shamzi to be more comfortable with who who they are in this south african cricket team i wish we could get one more test match where stain and amla are the best <laughs> but yeah it's i think it's they're both kind of if if you're being truly honest i think they both haven't been at their greatest in the last in the last couple of years uh at least i mean amla uh so often like the the challenges that he used to win through quite easily uh especially early on in his innings uh, to both seam and swing he has been a bit susceptible um but i mean his i'm just looking through like his averages uh, over the years and uh, between 2010 and 2014 so five years his lowest you know annual average was 57 oh, sorry 47 <laughs> was 47 and uh, the um in 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 that stretch he had a seven a uh, year a year where he averaged 78 this is in 2010 a year where he averaged uh, 70 uh, that's in 2012 and a 63 in 2014 uh, to maintain like five years of that quality uh, is something really special and also uh, these two players stain and amla played in the era where south african team the south african team was by a distance the best touring outfit uh, i think there was about a six year stretch or a seven year stretch where south africa didn't lose a series away from home which is insane when you think about it like especially in the current era that we are in now where uh, it's it's very rare for a for a uh, opposition to even win a test in a in a foreign country um for south africa to have that that level of achievement away from home and that's largely because of stain namla stain was a monster in australia which is uh statistically the hardest place to win a series and south africa won three times there uh whereas amla was uh incredible in asia i mean just looking through uh in uh in the uae he averaged 78 in uh, in three tests in uh in india he averaged 62 uh and he also also had a great average in england uh, and australia as well so uh i think a lot of that level, uh, that great away record a lot of it had comes down to to stain and amla uh basically everyone else batting or bowling around them but these were the the guys who like stuck a stake in the ground and said we're here to play i think just finally i think the one regret these two will have and i'm just sex i'm second guessing them now i think one regret they will have is that as you said their best years a, a chunk a major chunk of their career was in a great south african team now over the last 2 3 years with retirements of all the greats it has it, it has ceased being this great south african team and i feel somewhere they will they will have this regret that they couldn't with this team they couldn't somehow managed to win those big series away from home which is what i think they would have liked to have done more although there is one series win in australia yeah that's it but look uh uh it's just it's just this personal professional pride where you think hey where you might sit and think hey for this a lot of these years 
I was coming in after Smith and Peterson had given us a decent start. Now, now there's no Smith, there's no De Villiers. Maybe I, I should have done extra. I'm, I'm not saying he's not trying or anything, but maybe if I had those results, it would have been much more satisfactory before we left. So he did. So they did actually. Both Amla and uh, Stain did occasionally. Uh, contribute to some big ones even after uh, say like the likes of Callis and uh, and Smith uh, and then Peterson were gone so there was uh, yeah 148 in Port Elizabeth uh, and 87 in, in Cape Town and 80 in Cape Town so Amla did pr- contribute to that that last major series that South Africa played no no farewell matches nothing very quiet dignified Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was he was graceful in everything he did. That does not surprise me at all. That he, he didn't seem to be someone who loved or craved the limelight. Uh, Neither of them did was. that. I have for a, for a long period of time. I have I've not felt worse for any team. I mean, not even Zimbabwe than South Africa because in front of our eyes, I feel a great cricket tradition, a great cricket culture is getting eroded because. Organically, South African cricket is not able to compete with A, the lifestyle that Colpac gives and B, the money that the leagues give. They cannot fight the dollar economy. They cannot, because the country is in such a turmoil right now, it cannot give you the lifestyle that you will have in England. It is losing out on some of its best players and some of its best talent is not... It does not have enough incentives to become the test best test player they want they can, which is what is showing in the results in South Africa. I remember uh, it was in the early stages of the IPL. I had written a very scathing piece about how IPL is detrimental to the health of test cricket, and I had one of one of the commentators emailed me saying, "Why are you targeting IPL? Why are you targeting India? Look at how great." South Africa still is despite IPL and that was the time when Callis, Stain, AB everybody was at his peak and I responded to him saying we will see how any test cricket outside the big three nations is because big three can compete with all these things, they have an internal cricket economy to compete with it, we will see the impacts of this, of IPL and other T20 leagues in about 4-5 years time When this is the time when a person who's 16, 17, 18 on the fringes of first-class cricket is making decisions of what kind of a player he wants to be. And that's where I think South Africa have still been lucky with fast bowlers. They have been they've been getting fast bowlers coming out. If Kyle Abbott leaves, there's Marshan Delange. If he leaves, there's Dwayne Olivier. But they are getting... The, these these kind of fast bowlers are getting lured by the lifestyle and security that they get in England. I know for a fact that they're not making much money. Kyle Abbott plays the whole season and it's a hard toil. He plays the whole season in English county cricket and doesn't make as much as he would have made by playing one match a year for South Africa because by playing one match he's entitled to a contract with South Africa. So it's it's not entirely about the money. It's It's a lot of factors. They are losing players to call pack. They are losing prospective good test batsmen, blue yeah, yeah, T20 I mean, cricket. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the issue is, I think a lot of people are saying that South African cricket might be on like a downward trend now. Now we've had all these great players retire. 
they probably they might not be able to recover. The issue is, I think South Africa are also cr- uh, producing different types of players uh, than we've seen, and by that, that I mean they're tapping into the the black community, which is like the biggest community in the country. There are more black players, players of, of black African uh, background now than there have ever been. Uh, a lot of them bowlers, you know. Obviously, you've got. Uh, Rabada and Ngidi, uh, but you've also got like Junior Dala at, a, at another level, Pefla Quayos there. Um, the thing about South Africa is that, yes, uh, the coal pack thing, especially, less so the IPL, is very much like it, it very much split along racial lines, right? So it's, it's the white players who leave South Africa because they feel. I guess to some extent, uh, some of them might feel uh, left out by the quota system or marginalised by the quota system. Uh, black players haven't started going down that route yet uh, because I suppose they, they feel like they they'll always have a place uh, in in the team or they'll uh, like the, the system is a little bit uh, facing towards them or is helps them out a little bit more. Um, what I think, I mean. If if this trend continues, where we're getting more and more uh, Black African players into the team uh, and into like the South African A team and the emerging s- squads uh, as part of like the transformation guidelines, if the Black African community, if cricket catches on really in a big way with the Black African community, then South Africa can have a very bright future in the sport because you're now tapping into a community that has not been part of like the, the majority community in your com- country effectively that has not been uh, that into cricket for uh, since uh, South Africa's come back from from apartheid so if that happens I think it's it's up to cricket South Africa to manage that very very uh, closely because uh, letting South African cricket like die while they're building this team while they're trying to get uh, trying to do this outreach into the black community that might not uh, that not, might not be the best thing for South African cricket either. My issue is that you know you've you've been nurtured by uh, by a particular system, and yes, you're now a player on on the global uh, on the global market. But is like should South African players have a little bit more uh, loyalty to the system that brought them up? What do you what do you feel about that? Well, I. People who feel <clears throat> disheartened by the quota system, I have no time for them. I have no sympathy or empathy for them, because you need to be you need to be more aware about your surroundings and your life and your society. After and the history of your country, yes, after years, after decades and centuries of privilege, this is not a this is hardly asking you anything. I don't have any sympathy for them, but then. I'm not them. I'm. I don't. I'm. I am also not going through an, a phase where I know that I've maybe I've got ten years at the top. It's every day is taking out time out of that. Maybe, maybe I don't know what exactly they feel, but I think this is where. This is where. Maybe they need better mentors who are telling them these things. And who are who are making them aware of the history? And I'm I'm sure they are aware of the history, but who keep reminding them of the history? Uh, it's a good thing that there's a the the black African participation in cricket has gone up. Uh, watching Engiri and Rabada bowl in tandem last when we went last, and watching them bowl so well in tandem in Centurion 
was a great site and that i could i could imagine people who had imagined a more inclusive south africa how proud they must have felt to have two black fast bowlers finally doing well after the early promise of anthony and angam which did not materialize because of injuries to angam to have them come together to have to have guys like junadala and andile taklepoyo now coming up tambe bavuma scoring test centuries i mean that's great but my only thing is you should not lose your coaches and mentors you should not lose what made south african cricket great the values that made south african cricket great you should not there should be that system in place which is south african coaching by the way is uh is respected the world over there was a time when south africa was supplying coaches to everyone there's a great tradition of coaching in south africa from the time of eddie balo and even before him you talk to any south african current cricketer or a generation before that and they'll tell you what a great culture of coaching they had especially during the years of embargo where they could not go out they were cut off from the world those coaches were the guys who kept cricket alive by sharing their knowledge by making sure that they were not out of touch when they came back i think that is going out now that culture is going out because they are not able to retain the best brains best cricketing brains because let's face it at the end of the day money speaks it's a dollar economy and they are not able to compete with the dollar economy even though the rand is stronger than sri lankan rupee and indian rupee it's it is uh, they are not able to compete with that economy there's easy money to be I, i won't judge the kind of money they're making but it's easier to bowl four overs in ipl with change ups than to bowl you know 30 overs of 30 wicketless overs and then get on a streak like dale stain used to at his best but that's what that's what happened when they saw you know teams when they were young they saw teams winning if if south africa don't win how will the young black kids get inspired to make it to the south african national team yeah i mean uh, the the uh bafana bafana the south african football team uh don't win all that often uh but it is still by far the most popular sport in the country maybe football is uh not a uh, not a fair reference to make but given football is just like rampant pop- popularity right throughout the african continent so maybe that's not a fair comparison uh but i think i do agree that uh that south africa uh needs its cricket team to be winning uh, and also the the other thing is that with transformation um and with more and more black players coming through if they suddenly become a team that doesn't achieve what the team with like you know Callis and Smith and and AB and uh, and Amla and Stain achieved uh then it becomes like it's it's so politicized the game that uh it's very easy for detractors of the the quota system to throw rocks at the at the team and say this quota system is not working out it's led to the the rapid degradation of our of our sports teams and and in cricket in gen- in particular so uh for that reason for 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 transformation to continue happening uh and for the quota system to continue to be seen as a viable thing uh south africa have to continue winning so uh hopefully there you know players like dickock um and and rabada has had a long you know i think he's he's come into a bit of a lull in his career now for the first time 
maybe because of the amount of just the sheer amount of cricket he's playing, which is in itself a part of the a result of the quota system. It's a great example, uh, not just the quota system. It's a great example where South Africa wanted to pull him out of the IPL, but they could not because they could not fight the dollar economy, and they have no right to tell a player, "Hey, South Africa, play for your nation. Where your Where's where's the pride for the rainbow nation? Stop playing IPL. No, it's not going to happen unless you compensate. Unless you're able to compensate him for the losses he will suffer by not playing the IPL. This is how this is what Australia and England do. Australia have got a very bad name in the IPL because they their players can commit, but then CA jumps in, compensates them, pulls them out of the IPL. There's they are like nobody wants to touch Australian fast bowlers in the IPL at the auctions now. That's how bad their name is, but that's because the board is backing them. The board is compensating them for missing the IPL so that they can give the best for Australia, which is what South Africa, South Africa cannot afford to do. I remember, and you were there. We were there in the at that dinner in uh, Birmingham with some cricket South Africa officials, and I could see, I could feel they were dejected. I could feel that they had almost given up on this. They were, I mean, I, I could feel that they they felt that they had done all they could. And no, then, but, uh, I, then I covered the last game in the World Cup, and uh, thankfully they won that game against Australia. And there's something happens when they face Australia; they do something, and they they showed a glimpse of what they were, what they were capable of in beating Australia in that league game, and possibly consigning Australia to an early exit from the World Cup by making them play England in the semi final, which they did not like at Birmingham that too. And but in that day, I could feel, hey, this is like. You could feel a lot of players are going to end their careers. A lot of administrators are going to end their careers. Uh, our dear friend, coach is gone. Coach is gone. Manager is gone. Doctor is gone. Players are gone. Our good friend Lerato, the media manager, is gone. Yeah. So I think there's a good place to to wrap up. Um, it's been yeah. Hope very much that, especially in an era now, now with Zimbabwean cricket. Uh, in like some serious trouble uh, following their suspension by the ICC cricket in general uh, badly needs South Africa to bounce back from these retirements quickly and to be the force uh, that we know that they have been in parts of this decade um, and to to recapture uh, our imagination like they used to so hopefully uh, that continues to happen and uh, and South Africa emerge Strong. I think there will be uh, a rebuilding period. There has to be, but uh, hopefully there is enough quality there that uh, when they when they take the field again, uh, they will have a good future. Anyway, that's it from the two of us. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for, for listening. tuning in. We'll catch you later.